Welcome to this episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. My name is Patrick Custer and I'm your host. I am absolutely thrilled to be here today with my guest. It is National Pride Month and we are celebrating in so many ways, but today a very special way with a very special person. Um, CMT, celebrity, um, DJ, <laughs> on-air personality. I could go on and on with all the things that you've done. Thanks. Cody Allen, Good welcome to, be to the here. show. Thank you very much. I match your chairs. <laughs> I didn't mean to wear this shirt not knowing the color of this chair. And if you're, if you're just listening to this, they're very beautiful beige chairs. And I have a, a what I thought was going to be a, you told me it was a white backdrop. Right. Here, not to wear something white. This is a beige. And here I match the chairs instead of the backdrop. But you know what? You're wearing all black and like the black is, is like super slimming on <laughs> yes, the inside. Yes. yes. So it's like That's I would go, I go for that all day, all day long. So hey. I should have also knowing it's Pride Month been a little more vibrant in the colors I chose. Not it's just, OK. So. We're going to bring it with this with the right. conversation and the spirit. Good. I'm sure. excited to be here, though. Thank you for asking me. And this is such an amazing podcast that helps so many people. So I hope people will take away whatever I have to share and, and hope it's useful. Absolutely. I will say that I am um, somewhat intimidated. For those of you who don't know, if you haven't seen Cody's face before or heard any of his interviews, there have been over 4,000 that he's conducted in his career and um, with celebrities uh, across the country. Um, and I guess out of the country too. Yeah, we've and done a lot of stuff everywhere around the world. I mean, I've certainly talked to a lot of country music stars and yeah. people outside of country even. I tell you, the, the toughest ones I've done and maybe the ones I enjoy the most are when we travel overseas. I get to do a lot of trips with the USO and we visit the troops in countries around the world. Like you mentioned, we've been to Bahrain and South Korea, went to Puerto Rico this past mm -hmm. year, just all these different places. And you know, you go on these bases and get to interview our troops and the men and women who every day sacrifice for our country. And it's so incredibly humbling. And, uh, you know, I'm getting a little emotional just thinking about it right now. But yeah. those are those are great moments and in interviews, too, that, um, you know, add to whatever that number is you just said. So <laughs> I've had a chance to talk to a lot of people over the wow. years. That is that is super impactful and moving. And, you know, at a time when. Um, gosh, emotions are high and differences uh, across the country are so intense. Um, I think that, you know, just bringing that up, the heart of the matter of, uh, of power, there's power in that for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think so. And you realize when you go to places like that, how much we actually have in common, Yeah, which is a theme certainly of what I know we want to talk about here is, mm -hmm. yeah, we're all different but we're all struggling with something. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, whatever it is that we're, we're going through, we can find answers for. And there's more in common that we have yeah. than differences. Politically speaking, mm -hmm. certainly we could point to those, all those divisive things. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all still worried about, okay, what's for dinner tonight? You know, who's yeah. doing the dishes? What are we watching? You know, the same questions kind of yeah. cross our minds in relationships and, and the same issues for, you know, uh, people like me and and uh, families and you know people overseas uh, the military troops and even the country music stars there's so much we have actually in common yeah 
That's absolutely right. Well, speaking about um, what's going on in people's lives, uh, this is a big week in country music coming up. Um, yeah. And so what what do you have on the table for? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's CMA Fest week here, it, yeah. which is a huge week. Usually we've had the CMT Music Awards traditionally on this week. Those mm-hmm. moved to April last year. And so this week is actually a good week for me. I'm uh, able to breathe, unlike years past. I am, speaking of being intimidated, talking to Reba on Friday. Oh, wow. That'll be a CMA, like, close-up they do in this, like, auditorium. It'll be, like, thousands of people. And then two chairs like this, except in that chair that you're sitting in, Patrick, will be Reba. Oh, my gosh. Across from me. Reba, ladies and gentlemen. So I've got to figure out exactly what I'm going to say, and I'm going to try not to, like, throw up. Uh-huh. Uh, at any point during the interview because I'm a little it, it's nerve-wracking even though I know Reba we've talked a few times uh, there is still an intimidation and an anxiousness that follows someone who is such an icon like her so um, I'm I'm taking all day Thursday to study up for that so I'm ready on Friday that's awesome it makes me feel better too that you get nervous still oh, for after sure. all of this <laughs> oh yes absolutely I think if you're not getting nervous yeah. with whatever it is that you are doing and wanting to play at your best possible game yeah if there's not a little bit of that anxiousness maybe you're not doing it quite right i think humility is a very good thing when it comes to doing what we do because you want to have sort of a, uh the right attitude going into a, a conversation do you feel like that is something that you was a learned trait for you or um did you start start out your career like a little bit differently <laughs> Um, I, I think I had to learn it. I th- I don't think I was very good as an interviewer in the beginning. Yeah. In fact, when I first came to CMT and I realized like, you know, for seven nights a week on the radio, you'll have a different guest every night. Before, most of my interviews were just with callers, you know, who were the 10th caller and winning a prize, right? Right. So <laughs> how are you doing today? Where are you from? Here's mm-hmm. the prize you've won, mm-hmm. this sort of thing when you're a DJ when you realize that you're going to have to have a conversation every day with another star, you really, I buckled down in the beginning of my time at CMT and figured out the best ways to do that, how to interview somebody and get that right. Um, but I don't think I was very good at it in the beginning. It took, what do they say? 10,000 hours to get good at anything. Wow. It, it took me a lot of hours to yeah. sort of get the reps in to where I felt comfortable uh, with just about anybody sitting across from me. Gosh, I'm thinking about some passions of mine. I've got a little work to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a Malcolm yeah. Gladwell thing. Um, he yeah. wrote so many of those great uh, books from Outliers. In fact, I think the 10,000 Hours thing comes from his book called Outliers. But it really is that theory that to get good at anything, it takes a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, he gives the example, I think, of the Beatles uh, playing in Liverpool in England and how uh, they would not be the Beatles did they not play in that nightclub seven nights a week. Oh, getting wow. 10,000 hours of practice. Right. So it really is about everybody, you know, if you're wanting to be great at something, to learn how to do it at, at the highest level means you have to put in the repetition, mm. put in the work. Ooh, I just got like, uh, felt some parallel there from so those of my, myself and our uh, brothers, brothers and sisters in, in recovery that, that there's just such a parallel theme uh, that we see there of, um, you know, if, if you're having to work on anything when it mm. comes to uh, mental health, addiction, um, emotional well-being, physical health, um, it, that still applies and not, not just a, a professional passion. I mean, like. We got to put in the work if we want to maintain and, and stay 
stay healthy. Um, so, you know, you talk about your career and I hear this, you know, it's leading straight into your lovely book that we've got right here. Here's the thing. And I love the way it's spelled. It's spelled <laughs> that way on purpose, obviously. Um, and yeah. I really, really enjoyed, um, listening to the i'm an audiobook person so i listened to it and it was really great thank you um you know fortunately not every not every author who reads their own book should be reading their own book but you know you've got the voice for it so it was it was uh i i quite enjoyed it and i learned a lot especially doing what i do for this um show um i took a lot away good i'm, I'm glad it was helpful i'm hoping to implement more and make you proud, especially in this interview on my listening skills. Um, you talk a lot about listening uh -huh. in the book and how that was very important from the very beginning for you, but evolved ever so much. And so, um, I'm kind of curious, where did, when did that message become a theme that you were so aware of that, that you needed to be in tune with active listening and other individuals yeah. rather than just because you talk about not, not being just on cue for what you're going to say next, but if they lead you somewhere else, following down that path with them. Yeah. I mean, I think when you are an interviewer, you want to have enough knowledge of the interviewee mm -hmm. <laughs> going into any moment with them so that no matter where they go, you're comfortable going there and coming back to where you think the, you know, the next question would be. So in other words, if you've got a list of questions, it, it, you know, having enough knowledge about each of those areas that you want to cover is important, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, I found that my best interviews are when I put that aside, I sort of have enough knowledge going in that I can put that to the side and then actually have a conversation because I know where it is, I think we might want to lead the, the chat. Mm. So I, again, I don't think I was good in that, good at that in the beginning of what, you know, of my time at CMT, mm. it took me a little while to learn it. Um, and then when I got the TV show on CMT, even more so, but by then I'd had enough repetition to be pretty good at, uh, doing interviews. Um, I, I think what I, as I was thinking about the book and I knew I had kind of this journey that I wanted to share with people, I had these stories, like I had these country music adventures and I thought, okay, is this enough for people to be interested in reading a full book about these things? Mm -hmm. And then as I sort of unraveled that a little bit, and again, it's a process whenever you're thinking about writing a book or anything where you're you know, trying to come up with collection. I think about artists and albums a little bit, how they all want those whatever 12 songs to be somewhat cohesive. Yeah. Like I wanted a cohesive thought. Larry King, who, uh, rest in peace, yeah. uh, uh, passed away, I guess maybe it was last year. Uh, before he passed, he came into CMT to do some interviews. And he was doing his own show, uh, interviewing country stars mm -hmm. uh, here and there in Nashville for a couple of days. So I asked him to come by our studio, had a connection there. So he came by. And one of the things he said to me, uh, and it immediately it stuck with me, was I never learned, he said, I never learned anything while I was talking. This idea that when you're talking, you're not listening. Mm -hmm. And I thought that could be really, that kind of speaks to where, where I am. Number one with the interview portion of what I do for a job in country music, but you know, obviously it's listening, uh, but also as my journey in life and how it relates to my heart 
and listening to what my intuition said, mm -hmm. what I knew was the truth about me. Um, that also, this idea of listening also spoke to that kind of thing where, mm. so it became a little deeper than just the surface level yeah. sort of like interview listening into something much deeper, which is figuring out how to listen to that intuition, uh, to your gut. And um, that became the real lesson of the book. And I hope what people who take it seriously will come away with. If you just want country music stories, there's plenty of that. Yeah. There's a lot of fun. But I did want it to have a little more meaning than just that. I also didn't want it to be just about me, even though it was my book. I wanted it to be some application to other people's lives that they could, you know, cling to and enjoy and apply. Yeah, it's absolutely that. I think a great mix for sure. And um, so I, I wonder if you might divulge and go or indulge me for a second and go down that road of mm. um you know learning by mistake right so you've done a lot of interviews and talking about listening um were there is there a cringeworthy moment or two where you did make a mistake and just totally fudged the fudged <laughs> the bucket and uh, um i mean i think there's probably been a lot of those i um where i cringe Maybe the audience doesn't cringe as, okay. because your own your own personal like worst critic they yeah. say. Um, I remember, I think I asked George Strait once about social media, and George Strait is, you know, he's a hardcore cowboy rancher, Texan. He's not a guy who's you know doing social media. I don't think. I think I asked him, uh, do you do you know are you on Twitter? And I, his answer was, I don't. I don't tweet, I twang. And I know it was a great answer at the time because it was like that was so perfect, but it was a little embarrassing and probably in retrospect, it's like, why are you asking? Know your audience, mm -hmm. know the person you're speaking to enough to know that that's probably not something that he's gonna feel comfortable talking about. So, I mean, there's probably been a lot of those little moments where it's like, I wish I could have said that over again. Um, but look, I think you, as humans, mm -hmm. some of that humanness, when it shows that vulnerability, when you don't ask a question quite as perfectly or you bumble it or whatever, mm -hmm. um, it almost endears you more probably to the audience than if you were so polished. Mm. So I've learned that sometimes that what you might perceive as a weakness is actually a strength. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Um, so my follow-up to that would be what would be your advice to the majority of people that are listening that they don't talk professionally in interviews mm -hmm. to others um in, in daily life um to take and apply this these principles um to their relationships um you know we're not studying up on you know how am right. i gonna how am i gonna talk to my wife or my husband you know later or uh, you know perform talk to everybody at work tomorrow, but, uh, you know, are there some tips that you've, you've noticed that, you know, through your years, you talked about how learning other applications, mm -hmm. um, have benefited you in life. Mm. Um, is there anything that you'd like to share about that for people? Yeah. I mean, I think we could all take a step back sometimes because we live in this crazy, noisy world. There's just so much chaos all around us. I mentioned social media. Um, I think also, you know, 
I mean, I, listen, I'm a guy in the media and I'm telling you to turn the TV off sometimes or turn right. the radio down sometimes. I think sometimes we have to cut the clutter out. Yeah. Um, and when we do that, particularly in our conversations as well, when we stop talking, as Larry King advised, we might learn something. Um, and that is a lesson that that I've taken to heart with, you know, all, in all aspects of my life, mm-hmm. just trying to not be the loudest voice in the room. Mm-hmm. And that may sound kind of ironic, coming again from a guy like me who, who makes his living with his voice. Yeah. But I do think the the more often I do that, and if we were to all do that, we might be able to pick up on signs and understandings and sort of thoughts that we we didn't think of that we could learn from. Um, so, yeah. It's mm, good. It's real good. So I don't have a great transition to go from here, but I want to get into the meat of your actual story and kind of go back mm-hmm. chronologically sure. to the very beginning. Um, we're all about, you know, telling people's stories here and you've helped so many other people tell theirs. Today, we're going to tell yours. And I, I really want to uh, encourage, uh, even though you're tuning in today, you uh, you know, you're going to get to hear a lot about Cody, but I would also encourage you to list, get the audio book or get the hard copy or soft copy, whatever copy you can get, because it's really good. So diving in yep. to the beginning, where were you born, family life, that kind of thing? Yeah, I was born in Columbia, South Carolina, home of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Um, so I grew up a Gamecock. And by the way, when you were any SEC team, mm-hmm. if you pull it for them, it is a religion. So uh, I grew up hardcore. Uh, I did not like the Clemson Tigers, and I was taught as a young child to not like Tiger fans. I hope you're not one. Um, so uh, I think my dad is, but I've since learned. I don't own it. I've uh. since learned to accept all and uh, to love everyone. Uh, but it, it's so funny when it's so uh, ingrained in your understanding. Uh, football. Mm. Uh, so I did grow up in a family like that. My um, a very uh, really great mom dad situation. They listen to country music. That's probably where my love for country came from. Um, I have one sister, uh, like the perfect little you know, nuclear family uh, yeah. boy girl, um, and. I knew from an early age, I was a little bit different, but never wanted to admit it. Uh, we were quite religious, you know, Southern Baptists. Um, about the age of probably, I don't know, eight or nine, I remember loving music so much, loving radio so much, I thought, well, maybe that's what I'd like to do, talk on the radio one day. And so I let, and my dad was a big music fan. He had an incredible vinyl collection. So he listened to music all the time. So I was constantly surrounded by it. Um, so we would uh, often put on the radio and I would hear the stories in between the songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DJs, DJs would tell and I thought that would be a really fun thing to do one day. And I think years and years and years of visualizing perhaps doing that in my uh, mind uh, at 15, I got my first job in radio. Uh, I worked at the local station. Uh, I did have a Mr. Microphone, by the way, which is a story I tell in the book that was... Uh, do you remember the Mr. Microphone? I, I'm smiling because I don't... I, if you had asked me, I couldn't have told you the name right. of it, but I'm pretty sure I had multiples of those. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was well. pretty cool. Before, like, there were karaoke machines, it was this microphone that you would hook up to, like, 80... Uh, it had a wireless uh-huh. you know, wire that hung, hang, hung from it, and you would dial in the FM receiver to like 89.7 or something, and then your voice could be heard out of the speakers. Big deal at the time, again, before karaoke machines or you know any kind, anything like sure. that. So um, 
I practiced in my room for, you know, years leading up to the age of 15, so much so that at 15, I got a radio job uh, and worked weekends through most of high school. It was like the only thing that made me cool. Um, and so after that, I got uh, my first radio job out of high school, you know, moved city to city for a few years, finally got to uh, Dallas, Texas, which mm -hmm. was my first real big break in a major market. And uh, yeah, so it, and it took off from there. Did you feel, was your, the entirety of your drive to become successful and follow this passion of yours, was it all driven by just like, I love this and this is my dream? Or was was part of that, you know, you mentioned, um, it's pretty much the only thing that made me cool. Yeah. Did you, was there part of that that felt, you felt like this is what brings me value in the world. I've got to follow this because of that. Yeah, I, I don't think it was any of that. I think it was, real passion yeah i loved it and it got me so excited i think a lot of young kids who are teenagers you know they get excited about their extracurricular activity mm -hmm. which might be going back to football or sure. uh cheerleading or some activity at school mm -hmm. for me this was what got me like that lit me up that made me excited to not only get to work when i got to work at the radio station but it really Yes, it did fulfill me, no doubt about it. But I also thought there is something going on here that's just a drive, yeah. that is a true passion, sure. that is just a love, and I've always loved it ever since. I know, I know, a lot of people can't, uh, you know, say that for themselves that they they've been able to follow that path. But I think for those that can chase what, you yeah, know, it, that it's a beautiful thing because it's it, rare. It, I don't think yeah. it happens uh, a lot, and I, I feel very lucky to know what I knew mm -hmm. early on uh, and to be able to pursue it and have the op the doors open yeah, and the opportunities be there. Uh, I feel like I had to work once I got those opportunities. Sure. Because um, if it doesn't know, challenge you, it won't change you. Exactly. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. If you or a loved one are struggling with trauma, addiction, or mental health, we are ready to answer your questions and help you take that next step. Call our admission center at 888-648-4098 or visit us online at www.promises.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. So you mentioned, you know, you, you've talked about a little bit no, noticing some differences in yourself. Mm -hmm. Did you acknowledge what those what the difference was? Yeah, I mean, I, to, I, your, to yourself, did you acknowledge what it was? Yes, I think that I knew I was gay from a very young age. I, I think um, I, I just knew that Spider-Man and his shape, mm -hmm. there's something about that that I really like over Wonder Woman. Yeah. And and that's the earliest recollection I have of having that feeling. And then, of course, once the teenage years kick in, you have hormones and you realize like, okay, yeah, this is like, I definitely feel this. Mm -hmm. Um and I definitely compartmentalized it. I put it to the side because I thought something's wrong with me. Right. And I'll figure it out later. So I ended up probably distracting myself a lot with that passion of radio and yeah. that the things that I knew I really loved uh, about my life and that I could do that were fun. I, um, you know, went that direction and tried to put the, the things that were uncomfortable to the side. I think it's a, it's interesting that you say that you put it on the shelf. It's a, term we use a lot in therapeutic circles you yeah. know that's i mean it's a 
uh, not saying that that was a, a trauma, a traumatic thing for you necessarily. It is for a lot of people. Um, but you know, um, shelving things is a trauma, trauma survival technique. And, um, we do it subconsciously. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, very well could have been what kept you in a safe place until you were ready to do what you needed to do. So speaking <laughs> of that, you know, moving forward, you, um, you know, you talk about, you had a, a dynamic spiritual life in your family and, um, you continued on that road yourself. What did that look like, um, on into adulthood? Yeah, I mean, growing up Southern Baptist, you're around the church all the time, mm -hmm. uh, and my mom was super religious, dad somewhat, and mm -hmm. would be encouraging, certainly, but she was definitely the stalwart Bible thumper in the house. Um, it never felt good to me, um, so whenever I was 18 years old, I got introduced to the Mormon church, um, had a friend who was a member, had some friends at school who were members of the Mormon church and I uh, went to a service. I was like, wow, this is really different. This feels good to me. And um, I pursued that pathway. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I later went on a Mormon mission and after I joined the church and um, really thought that was the right way for me. Do you remember what it was about um, other than just being different? Do you remember what the difference, were there some things yeah. that stuck out for you that, you know, really yeah. sold you on, on making such a pivotal move? I like the way it felt there. Um, and that's a, you know, this, for everyone's a little bit different, probably yeah. how something feels when you're in the room, right? Um, there wasn't, I remember there wasn't a preacher like I was used to in the Baptist church mm -hmm. that would stand at a pulpit every week for 20 minutes and tell you what you needed to do with all due respect to the people mm -hmm. who do that. I, and sometimes with, you know, with a little vitriol in their voice, um, with some loudness, the Mormons weren't like that. Mm. It was very quiet service. It was like a peaceful time. Yes, there were speakers, but there wasn't yelling. And for some reason it just felt better. Uh, maybe it spoke a little better to where my spirit was at the time. Mm -hmm. I was searching for answers also, like trying to figure out my own place in the world. And, you know, I knew I had this baggage that I had to figure out at some point, yeah. but I wasn't going to worry about that for a while. And I thought, well, maybe the answers are here. Yeah. It sure feels good. The people are really nice. And uh, I kind of believe that some of this doctrine might be for me too. You know, it's all about the family and... Um, all about perfection and figuring that out in time. And to me, those were all exciting and interesting themes. And I sort of fed on that. Yeah. So you join the Mormon church, you go on a mission, it kind of changed. I mean, I've heard you talk about how it, like it really changed your, it sounds like it changed your life and in positive ways during that period. Uh, I think so. Yeah, very much. And so what would you say that, um, did it change um, your trajectory in any specific path or? I don't know. It's f funny to think if I had not gone that way, mm -hmm. would it have, uh, would I have come out sooner? Would I have figured my sexuality out sooner? I don't know. Um, it certainly made me of the mindset, let's have a life with a family because it's such a central theme of what the Mormons believe. And because I was part of that, uh, belief system. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that I needed to get married 
to a woman and to have children and have this family life. And honestly, that's what I wanted also. I mean, even if you are gay, there are often times where you feel like that's what I want. We all know couples, um, gay couples, who are amazing parents to their children. It's also what they want. They want family as well. So... Um, I think very in a very real way, it probably um, made me want that even more strongly and uh, want to settle down and figure that part out. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, moving, kind of sliding through these years, there was, you're, you're, you're working your, um, your time in and you meet your wife and um, who I think it's really really neat how you describe her and i just i i would i would love for you to introduce who she, who she is and who she still is to you today yeah. um yeah teresa is amazing i met her in texas and we hit it off right away there was a nice chemistry and camaraderie and just a friendship mm-hmm. um that led to a relationship um and you know even today years after divorce and separation and our uh, my finding my person, she finding hers, um, we're still the best of friends. And it, you know, I feel so incredibly grateful and blessed that she came into my life because I don't know that it would have worked out with anyone else the way it did except with her. And, um, you know, when you meet her, you realize why well, it took me so long to break up with her because yeah. she's just that kind of person, you know, she's incredibly loving and kind. And even when we broke up, it was years after I told her I was gay. We work, tried to work through that together, figure it out. Um, as you read in the book, you know, there are a lot of that. There's a, there's a process we had to go through. Um, mm-hmm. I talk about it being sort of an evolution, not a revolution. It didn't happen overnight. It happened in time. And we started figuring out how to deal with it because it was obviously uh, an issue that was in the way of us being a married couple. Um, so some trauma involved there for her and for me. Uh, yeah. But we figured it out together. I'm happy to say. Well, it's it sounds like there was um, one of the things that kept um, kept you all intact, and especially with kids involved as well, is that that integrity was maintained um, and and respect. And I think that um, I really like that that theme uh, because no matter what you know, as we grow as humans people find out things, you know, a lot of us carry trauma that we don't even know we have the generational stuff that we, you know, came from our parents, from whatever. And hopefully as we're growing through life and we uncover, you know, we heal, we do better. Um, you know, we uncover things, we learn more about ourselves. It might not be that our sexuality isn't what we always thought, but you know, it might be smaller things. And, um, and you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, when we treat those we love most, especially with the integrity that they're due, um, I think it opens the door for us to uh, ha- have respect mm-hmm. and um, lengthen the the time that the the relationship can stay, uh, you know, transform. Right? Like, as, right. as we transform, the relationship's going to transform, and that's a you know a really uh, just a beautiful story. I think because um, not a lot of people have stories like that. You know, mm-hmm. we're in a town in the Bible Belt where now I'm seeing more and more people that are 40 plus mm-hmm. um, that have been married that are feeling safe enough to. Um, 
come out and live their truth and tell their spouse, you know, the, and do what you did, mm. uh, but not, <laughs> haven't necessarily had the same experience. And, you know, it's everybody's on their own path, not, you know, it, nobody's owed a certain, no. you know, whatever. Um, and I, I think, I think it comes down to love. I mean, at the end of the day, it's such a, it's a word we use so often, mm -hmm. but the depth of that word means so many things. Obviously it, on the surface level, it's, it's probably the strongest of all human emotions to love someone, yeah. but to love someone unconditionally, even when it's uncomfortable, even when the circumstances aren't what you thought they were going to be. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's the, that's true love. That is the, you know, it's love to the 10th power. It's mm -hmm. the, it's the, it's the love 2.0 kind of version that is so deep and so wonderful when you have that, be it from a spouse or from a parent. Right. Um, you know, anyone who could say, putting all that aside, I still love you. Mm. I, I think I, I learned that lesson so many times in my life from my own parents through my experiences uh, on a mission just you know learning to love yourself even to some that's degree. what i was gonna get to yeah. you know for somebody who has spent his life um listening so much to other people yep. going back to that thing we were talking about earlier that you know there's a deeper meaning of when you finally got to listening to yourself and finding out more of what that what that was and so w how did that um how did that kind of play out for you in um, identifying and exploring um, that transition of alignment, mm. right? It didn't happen overnight. What was the? Yeah, it was again. It was a evolution for me, just to sort of unravel the, peel back the layers of the mm -hmm. onion to get sort of to the core of like who I was. I f I know how I felt when I was young. I explained that. Um, but as you're going through life and you're distracted and you're working hard, and you're trying to make money and you're, uh, you've got, you know, family life you're trying to maintain. And, um, I tell you when it was the hardest, and maybe this is when that unraveling really began is anytime I stopped, anytime I slowed down Sundays were really hard for me because Monday through Saturday, Saturday, I was working, 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 working. Sunday, I'm like, all of a sudden, I have this time and I have no distractions. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm sad because I realize for some reason, there's some things I haven't dealt with yet. Mm -hmm. And that's as I began to analyze how I felt, I realized, okay, I've never, I've never dealt with this issue. At some point, I need to resolve this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, you know, for some people it might be, oh, well, whatever crisis you're dealing with yeah. at the time. For me, it was just sort of an introspective thing of, okay, this is a feeling I know exists and I'm faking so much of my life as this person pretending, pretending all the time. And it, it takes a toll after a while. And yeah. so I, I really got to, in that sadness, I got to the point where it's like, okay, I, I really need to figure this out what was your first step in doing that uh, i prayed i really tried to reach out and like um seek god's help mm -hmm. um and through that i think you're my how i feel about it is my intuition began to answer you need 
you to tell her, tell Teresa. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a chapter in the book called The Conversation where I really yeah. kind of detail that whole uh, moment. And, you know, it's a tough one. I, I, I get uncomfortable talking about it even now because it's, you know, it's not a conversation you ever want to have. But for me, it was the first step in uh, finding peace with myself. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was a real dichotomy. I had to, uh, you know, I felt like so often I was playing this sort of happy-go-lucky guy in all aspects of my life, from television, you know, smiling on TV to, to radio and doing these chirpy, uh, peppy interviews all the time. Uh, even in family life where I'd go to church and smile and I'd wear the right clothes and we'd be the perfect family to, you know, the picture on the mantle being just perfect. And yet all that seemed like fakery. Like I'm not, that's not real. What is real is what I'm telling you now, uh, Teresa. Mm. And that's what I had to get to that point where I could actually have that first conversation where I just got real. And then... You know, we began, as I said, to sort of figure out what to do with it, what to do with that new information that she had learned, information I've known for a while. Yeah. And that's what led us to... Did you battle with it at all trying to... Because, you know, just coming from a conservative Christian family, like for me, I know that there were years where I was like, once I acknowledged it to myself, uh, there, you know, um, I was trying to live a different existence because... Just like yeah. you said, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but but even at the point where, um, you know, you, you talked to Teresa about it, were there, was there a period where you were like, this is who I think I am, but I don't know if it's right. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I I think that first conversation was something like that. I know this about myself. Mm -hmm. I've known it forever, ever since I can remember. Um, and what, what, what do we do about it? Can we work through this? Can you help me? It was a very vulnerable conversation and Mm -hmm. it really was asking for help. Yeah. And uh, luckily it was met with compassion and love. Um, you know, they're tragic stories where it's not met that way. Right. From a spouse or a parent or whatever. And I think that I was lucky in the sense that, you know, she was, I knew a person of such great character mm-hmm. that she would take that the right way. Obviously disappointed, mm-hmm. obviously shocked, mm-hmm. but also like, okay, let's breathe and let's figure this out together. And that's, you know what we did and figuring it out you moved along the process and obviously you landed where you, you are today so at the point where you realized well what we're trying isn't necessarily the answer do you remember was there was there a moment where you had a conversation and said okay we've you know kind of we've done the research kind of tried yeah. this stuff we got to figure out a different solution yeah forward. for sure there was and um that was our separation basically and um along the way knowing that i would be there for her and our children was really important you know i still get you know people uh message or email me and ask questions because they're dealing with the same situation Mm. and i always say um you know make sure you love your kids yeah first like put this aside for a second you have to be there for your family you have to be there for your children, don't abandon. And that was really important for me and for her. Mm-hmm. And she knew I wasn't going away. Right. I would still be there for her. I'd still be there for the children because that's where my priorities, that's the kind of man I am. Yeah. You, I wanted to live that life of integrity that I always dreamed of. Um, 
And yet I had this other thing that I knew I had to work out. And so, yeah, hard to do, really difficult to sort of make that move and that shift. But she knew it was the right thing by then. Yeah. I knew it was the right thing. And the only thing that would be fair to her moving forward as well. Sure. And um, the shame or whatever that I carried leading into that time of my life, you know, you you have to put aside for a moment and, and, mm. and realize that you've got to step forward for everyone. It, I thought for a long time, it's just a selfish decision. Right. It's not. This helps everybody. That's a really good point. And one that I don't think gets spoken to uh, enough. And so, you know, talking about this helps everybody, you know, the whole family unit, you've got kids. Mm -hmm. How old were they at the time? Um, when I actually spoke to them about myself, I, uh -huh. it was, uh, my daughter must have been probably 17. My son was, I guess, 14, something like that. Okay. Was that a, like, I, I can't imagine yeah. as, as a parent, I can't, I'm not a parent yet. Um, and, uh. <laughs> I waited. I waited yeah. because I didn't want to. I didn't want them to be too young to ex, to, to not uh -huh. understand, but to have them be at an age where they would get it. And of course, their answer, you know, their um, uh, conclusions after that were, "Okay, yeah. So what? We we love you. You're our dad still. It's all good." Um, they were very like cool about it. Um, yeah. So I was lucky again that way. Sure. Uh, maybe it doesn't happen and so many people on their journey. It won't happen the same way. Yeah. I'm hoping the, the generations, especially the younger yeah. generations right now, it's, we're, we're seeing so much progress um, with, I mean, it's like not a thing for them. Um, but uh, so, you know, in we're here in Pride Month and there's so many themes around what does pride mean? And there's a lot of misconceptions about what does pride mean? Why do we need an entire month about pride? Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I'm interested to know um, what has uh, pride played in a role of you taking care of your mental and emotional health during that process of coming out, finding, finding yourself, coming out, yeah. embracing your um, sexuality you know it's been so wonderful because ever since 2017 you know once i came out in january of that year pride a few months later mm -hmm. i'm lucky enough to work in a company that really supports pride yeah. our cmt family is amazing and the whole paramount family that uh you know they're very inclusive in everything they do and so it was really fun that first year june of 2017 to have not only my guy, but Teresa bring her guy and our kids all be together and walk in the pride parade. Uh, if you can imagine that wow. in our colors and everything else, yeah. uh, walking as a family, um, it was exhilarating yeah. and just the love and the acceptance you feel. And I felt um, that first time and certainly year after year now, it's such a celebratory and beautiful thing. So it's interesting you say that 2017 was the first, um, that was the first year that I um, went to Pride and saw the parade. That oh, wasn't really? the first year that I went to Pride. It was the first year I ever went to the parade. Right. And um, I've gone every year I could go since. I mean, obviously the COVID put, right. you know, but um, uh, 
you know, whenever I talk about this with people, I'm like, I cry every time I have yeah. ever since the first one that I Me went too. to. And it's an emotional thing. Yeah. Something about walking down the street with people who believe as you do, who love as you do, who accept. Yeah. And by the way, many of them allies. That's, I think, one of the most impactful yeah. things for me is, uh, especially living living where we do, um, you know, there are, um, you know, not to, not to um, alienate anyone here, uh, but there are a lot of, we live in a state where a lot of people have differing opinions on, on this matter specifically, um, especially right now. And so, um, to live in a city where people are coming together yeah. and to be able to see faces of people that we don't even know that are saying, yeah. I'm going to show up for you just to let you know that I am glad you exist and you're living your truth. It's beautiful. It really is. And the people walking in the parade all, you know, are united in that way. And even as you walk Broadway in the last couple of years, they've walked mm -hmm. right down Broadway. Yeah. And of course, thousands of tourists are in all of the bars mm -hmm. <laughs> in the honky tonks. And they're all cheering too, who probably did not even know there was a pride parade happening that day. Right. <laughs> so um, you, you really get a sense that we have, again, it, it, as much as divisiveness as I think is always highlighted, mm -hmm. what's not highlighted is the love that does exist. Mm. Um, and so I always feel like if I can do anything, it is to let people know that there is still a lot of love out there. The That's outpouring of love is there, uh, even though it may not be seen on your screen right now because we tend to look at the negative. Yeah, that's a good point. And I appreciate you pointing that out because it's uh, it's easy right now in the midst of and, you know, we're going to talk about a couple of things in a minute that are really, you know, I think heavy on a lot of people's hearts. But but um, gosh, that's a really good sentiment to that. I'm going to try and keep with me for sure. Speaking of love, um, I'd love to hear about how uh, you met your your second love, um, yeah. Trey. Yeah, it's so funny. I, somehow I got love right with a heterosexual relationship, I think for, for the most part. Right. And a, and, um, a same sex relationship as well. So uh, how I got so lucky, I have no idea to figure <laughs> figure this out. But I, uh, yeah, we met um, at a Carrie Underwood event. She was uh, uh, performing a CMT show and I was hosting mm -hmm. and interviewing her backstage. And, um, and then we met afterwards because uh, he was, uh, I was taking pictures outside and, meeting people and, and and we met and later uh i think he tagged me and this is the way it works now kids this is social media for you uh he tagged me on instagram and i was like whoa he's kind of cute and so uh then we started corresponding and talking yeah. and uh, sending messages and we met in person months later because you know when you do what i do you want to be safe yeah. and make sure the person can be trusted so there was a lot of chatter that happened, just getting to know each other over many months before we even met face to face. Yeah. Wow. Did he live? Yeah. Did did y'all both live in the same city? No, he was in Atlanta. Oh, and okay. I was here. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. It so, was actually probably probably very good that way. I yeah. Think. Kind of healthy in that way, and that we had to uh, f find out more about each other uh, and build that trust. The and ideal way that a yes, relationship should like be. Like dating should be this way, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that dating apps in many ways have not nurtured that, that, um, <laughs> right. Very well. <laughs> and, uh, cause you know, people go one way, one direction with it. It's their, you know, yeah. it's their choice, but okay. So, you know, 
today we're pre-recording we pre-record all these episodes today the hrc comes out with a, a national statement talking about that they're declaring a state of emergency for lgbtqia plus members in our country um, because of all of the harmful legislation and um, uh, things that have come out recently in states across the country it's unprecedented and um, i know for example that the United States Supreme Court is poised to make a decision um, on whether or not businesses can deny service to people based on their um, being gay or not mm. and um, how they represent. And so, you know, being gay myself, that is, you know, obviously something that I'm concerned about. I'm curious what your take is on how the, you know, when you when coming from a perspective of love and being surrounded by people with all again all di- kinds of differing opinions um how are you navigating the world today yeah. with all of this going on well i think it's so sad and unfortunate and um awful in so many ways that discrimination is happening and that these issues are even being hoisted upon us mm-hmm. through politics, mostly. I mean, it's been kind of stirred up for us to get angry with each other right. for political reasons. Right. Um, I think that, again, going back to my glass half full, and look, I know I'm making it kind of glossy mm-hmm. because I just believe most people don't feel that way. Yeah. Uh, my experience is most people don't feel that way. In fact, when I came out... And again, 2017, a little different than 2023, but I will say that I didn't know if I was going to have more haters than people who liked me still. I thought it might be Mm 50-50. The truth of the matter is it was probably more like 99-1. I mean, there was just an outpouring of support. Yes, there were a couple haters, but for the most part, you know, people came out on, on social media and otherwise to say nice things. And the same was true for all the artists who spoke up that day and who've known me for years mm-hmm. um, and who supported me on that day. Everyone from Carrie Underwood to Toby Keith, you know, uh, unexpectedly, by the way, I didn't know any of that was going to happen. I just was trying to like get right with myself still, you know, yeah. and I wanted the audience to know something about where I've been and who I am. And um, it's amazing how that vulnerability really helped me with everyone that I ever meet. They feel like they have a connection. They may not necessarily agree or understand, Mm -hmm. but they feel like they know me. And there's something about that honesty, that truth of showing your vulnerability and being honest with people that I think, you know, uh, endears them to you. Yeah. Um, So, yes, I'm a glass half full guy. I do think most people are on our side, but... Obviously, um, with the minority of people who speak out in hate, um, I I tend to think we've got to vote. Um, we've got sometimes to be one issue in our choices mm-hmm. um, because otherwise you potentially get rights taken away. Yeah. Scary things happen like, you know, heaven forbid the inability to marry who you want, mm-hmm. the inability to love who you want. Um, to consenting adults being able to be together. Mm-hmm. Like all of it seems so ridiculous and yet also is threatened because of what is happening. Um, you can see sort of the trickle down that might occur if we don't stand up. Yeah. And so to me, it comes down to like, okay, let's 
let's remember it's not all done. Yeah. I think sometimes as, you know, LGBTQ plus people, we think everything has been completed. Yeah. All our forefathers have done all the work. Sure. We can relax now. And I think um, it's we can't. Um, I, I think my mentality is let's let's unite and stand up and fight. Hmm. That's right. Uh, you know, I think that you hit the nail on the head. It it It's such a poignant time for us to talk about this, A, because it's pride, B, because of everything going on right now. Um, but you gave some really practical advice to, you know, to get involved, vote on your local state, yeah, <laughs> whatever, get involved and vote. But I think more, more than all of that, um, if, if we're not taking care of ourselves and finding a place of safety, whether it's uh, loving ourselves or yeah. or um, being in, finding that safe community to connect, to connect with, um, mm -hmm. I know you've spoken a lot about that. That like when you were coming out, you were like, I had to pick my people safely. Like I knew my safe people that I that I was going to talk to, and so um, you know we're yeah coworkers, yeah. people around you, friends, yeah. finding those people that you can confide in was so important for me, like knowing who was there for me. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find, I think this is true for most people, once they know you, it changes everything. All yeah. right, I'm getting to know Patrick now. I know you're gay now. I'm getting to know you more and more. And I, I build trust with you and I understand like, oh, okay, he's a great guy. And it's the same with anything. I, I realized this on my Mormon mission, when people knew I was, you know, comparing it now, when people found out I was a Mormon, they were like, oh, I don't know about that. But then once they got to know you, it's like, oh, I know him. He's a Mormon. That's fine. Right. Same with most of us in the LGBTQ plus world. It's like once you know someone who is gay, you're like, oh, okay, that's cool. It's fine. Sure. And the same can be said for, for people, I think, who are struggling with other, you know, the trans community or uh, those bisexual, all of it. Yep. It's like you, once you know someone who is dealing with something that may be different to you, mm -hmm. once you understand them and know them, you begin to understand it better. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think that that is, I've, I've seen that alive and working in just about every avenue of life as well. One that I find uh, you know, I, I struggle with personally is because I'm a very spiritual person myself, but I keep navigating different waters of like trying to find a place of, of safety and connection. Um, and so I'm curious for, for you, um, going from where you, you know, where you started out to Mormonism mm -hmm. and the, the little bit that I do know about Mormonism, you know, that it's not something that is endorsed mm -hmm. or is frowned upon, right. Being yeah. homosexual. Right. And so, um, have you, uh, where are you spiritually today? Is that something that, you know, you've, um, moved on from or? Yeah, I have. Um, but I've learned to take the good parts and every chapter of life, there's good, there's bad, there's moments where you're up and down. Um, for me, the whole Mormon chapter was a good one for the most part. Mm -hmm. So I take the good parts from it and I apply those still. I remember the lessons that I've learned from those experiences. Um, you know, it can be something as simple as I remember as a missionary, uh, we could not listen to commercial radio or any pop music or certainly not country and none of that. So you listen to like the Mormon this, tabernacle choir. This sounds choir. like my upbringing and yes. I wasn't even Mormon. <laughs> what, what did you listen to? I was, we grew up listening to Christian music. Gospel yeah, Christian yeah, music. Yeah. The, yeah. So 
what we could listen to and the leader of sort of the missionaries in the area that I was in um, would allow us to listen to one radio station mm-hmm. uh, and it was 98.1 classical King FM. It was a classical station. Was and that here? It was in Seattle. Oh, okay. So oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, and this sounds kind of silly, but I love listening to classical music when I just want to chill mm. because it takes me back spiritually mm. to that moment and that good part. So I, to me, learning to take the good from whatever might have been a traumatic experience, might have been a tough experience, might not be who you are now, but the good parts along the way, um, I've learned to take and savor. Um, and so applying that to my spirituality as well, um, I don't necessarily know that I believe that God is one bearded guy uh, on a cloud with harps as I once did. Mm-hmm. I believe he, she, they are much bigger um, than that. I feel good about the spirit in my heart mm-hmm. um, and the connection I have with a higher power mm-hmm. as I did before when I was Southern Baptist or when I was Mormon. Yeah. I still feel that and maybe more so because I think I'm more tuned in. Uh, I've, I hear people better. I am more empathetic and loving. I'm probably just a better Christian mm-hmm. uh, or Christ-like person than, mm-hmm. I, than I've ever been. And that's come from the truth and honesty and integrity and trying to live that every day, those values. Not perfect, yeah. still fail, still mess up, uh, but I try to like go back to those things that were good for me in religion and lean on those, not knowing, because none of us do, exactly what what the end says. But if I live my life the best I can, I feel like when that end comes, I'll be fine. Mm. Really great. Those are, those are some great sentiments and words of wisdom, uh, for sure. Because I think that it's easy for um, those of us who have periods that we might call traumatic or easily write off and say that that wasn't that that period of life wasn't for me, you know, um, write the whole thing off. Yep. And um, that's a really great point. We don't have to do that. There's pieces we can take along. We don't have to we don't have to let it the whole thing be. Yeah, a waste. Right. Because I thought that for a long time. And then I realized once I figured out that, hey, it wasn't a waste of time because I learned something from all Mm. that. And there were so many good things along the way that came from that. Um, Perhaps consequences, things that led me to other places that like, that made me understand. I I think, you know, it's a, don't ever think that a chapter in your life or a decision you've made in your life is a waste. What did you learn from it? What good came from it? Hmm. What can you pick, you know, that's positive? That's good. Okay. So I, I've got some rapid fire questions okay. I want to ask you All right. before I get to them. Um, because they're a little bit more lighthearted since we're okay. in this mode of seriousness. I just yes. kind of want to ask, you know, for that person who has been listening to your story and identified with part or all of it, um, you know, what, is there a last word of encouragement that you'd like to throw their way? Oh, I think, I think there's been so much today that we've talked about that I've probably gone deeper with you in understanding, um, uh, and explaining myself and the book than perhaps other podcasts have. Um, so I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, I, I would think don't give up is probably the, 
one of the sentiments. Um, I feel like also if you've got whatever you're dealing with, find someone to talk to about it. Mm. Um, And I know that sometimes it's really difficult to trust someone. But if you can find trust in a friend, parent, even a spouse in my case, uh, I was lucky that way, who could help you through something. I think it's so important. Um, And so speak up and find that person who can help unravel whatever it is that you're dealing with. Beautifully said. That's good. That's some good stuff right there. Cody Allen, y'all. Um, all right. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your heart and getting so vulnerable today. Um, this, this, this has been really special. And um, I love I love this part of our show. Uh, we don't do it with everybody, but I was, uh-huh. I was able to come up with some. Well, I think there's some good ones. Okay. Uh, so, you got me scared, all right. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, your, your favorite drag queens. I'm going to limit it to okay. three. Oh, okay. Um, your favorite, and you can even say one if you want to go to go down okay. to one. But I want to know who they are and why. Uh, okay. Uh, well, obviously, I love RuPaul. Yeah. I mean, she's the mother of all drag queens. Um, I Ginger Minj yeah comes to mind. Uh, one of my best friends. Is, is she favorite? Really? No, no, oh. Ginger isn't. One of my best friends is a Ginger Minj crazed. Fanat. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's so talented, like so poised. Yes. Um, and loves country music. Oh, yeah. um, she she's she will impersonate um, country music artists. And by the way, I didn't know anything about drag before I came out. I had I had no idea about any of that. Right. I think sometimes people assume, like when you're gay, like you like get an instruction manual that tells you <laughs> right. all the things you're supposed to know. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about it. So Trey uh, knew something, and he would. You know, I'd never been to a gay club until I came out. Like, mm-hmm. seriously, I was, I didn't know what to do. So luckily, he really helped me because he'd been to gay clubs. He, he's been out since he was a teenager. So he understood sort of the culture and mm-hmm. understood drag, you know, some of the drag culture and mm-hmm. had to do some explaining to me about how, why is this, why do I like this? And why is this, you know, what's this about? Um and once I understood it, I was like, this is really fun. It's entertaining. Um, uh, it's not something, I, I think we overthink it. I think yeah. so often, even going back to the the politics of all that, right. why are we overthinking this? Yeah, It's just an art form. Yeah, it's uh, For some people, it is their life as well. And yet we want to somehow demonize it. It's um, unfortunate. Uh, and so I love now to see a great drag show. Heck yeah. We have probably the best drag show. I'm going to brag I in agree. Nashville. I agree. We have the best drag queens here by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, the princess is probably my favorite here locally. Yeah. Uh, just amazing. And just such a great entertainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually do a lot of stuff on stage. Um, never drag, but I, um, I've learned a lot by just being a little more poised in those moments from those drag queens who just go out there on a stage and own it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I picked up a few tips on like, yeah, I'm going to go out here and just own it. I'm going to own the moment I have been given and um, do my best to say the right things. In their case, dance and yeah. uh, do the moves the right way. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing talent they have. It so, is. It's so unique. It's so different than any other art form. Truly. And yeah. It really so fun. Yeah. I love that answer. Uh, all right. So w- what is, uh, and again, I would say three to one. Uh, if you want to narrow it to one, that's cool. Favorite past interviews and why? 
Oh, wow. So of anybody, huh? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've interviewed Dolly, who's amazing. Of course. I mean, she is everything you want her to be when you meet her um, because I was scared to meet her. I, I didn't. She's one of those people I remember in movies as a kid, mm-hmm. like nine to five and still Magnolias and these movies that were just iconic at the time. Of course, Islands in the Stream with Kenny Rogers and these Jolene, these amazing songs. I will always love you. Um, she was one of those cross platform, early cross platform superstars mm-hmm. who could kind of do it all. Right. Acting, singing, songwriting, everything. Um, television show of her own. I mean, it was all these things. So when I met her, it was like, you know, another like uh, out of body experience, honestly. Do you remember when that was? It probably was the early 2010s. Yeah. yeah, I met her when I came to CMT. Uh, uh, and I think I met her, may have met her in once in Texas, just at a meet and greet, like really fast sure. backstage. But to actually have a conversation was at CMT. So I can't imagine. That was crazy awesome. Um, Keith Urban wrote the forward for the book. Mm-hmm. So he will always have a special place in my heart just because he's such a good guy. And I've loved the moments I've been able to spend with him. Talk about spiritual, like yeah. you feel like he gets you and you get him immediately. I mean, when you sit down with the guy. Um, and there, I, I always learn something from him that I did not expect going in, yeah. which is so powerful. You know, he's just, he's a tuned in human, yeah. uh, going back to sort of just his own ability to tune into someone to pay attention. He's a big believer in being present in the mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. And he writes about that in the preface of the book. Um, and so I knew he'd be the perfect one to ask to do the forward. Yeah. I mean, Plus his accent, reading it. Yes, he reads yes, it too. Reads, and reads, so it's, yes, you know, it's great. Yeah, 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 yeah it's great. And um, I just, how I even know Keith Urban, I don't even understand. I, I don't deserve to know him. He's a great guy. And um, I'm just thrilled that he, has, you know, had been part, such a part of my life. Yeah. And now part of the book. And, and uh, he also was one of the first artists I really came out to. Mm. And I talk about that story in the book and what a, revealing and uh, moment of release that was to have someone of his stature accept. Um, so um, I really love him. Um, yeah. And I think you said three. Uh, I'm going to say maybe Garth somewhere in there. Yeah. I just, again, he's just such a decent human down to earth. Absolutely. A real guy. And you feel like he connects with you when you talk to him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's something about a Garth hug as well that seems so real. Um, so I have a real affection for him as well and the conversations we've had over the years. I, I have to say, every everybody that I've talked to that has either interviewed or met him has said the same thing uh, about his presence. And so, I mean, it's got to be true. <laughs> yeah. So, he's a, and I um, did some great, I share a couple of really fun stories in the book about him. Yeah. The first time I met him and right. like what an experience that was. And um, yeah, he came out of like a dressing room brushing his teeth. And I thought, oh my God, he's like us. He's a human. <laughs> he brushes his teeth. What? Wow. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm going to skip back for just a second because yeah. I got, I can't help but mention because I admire him so much for what he's done and his humility he's brought and he's a local Nashvilleian as well. Keith Urban, um, yeah. is, um, so 
because we talk about recovery so much on this podcast. Right. He's in recovery himself very publicly. And um, he's been transparent and owned his mm -hmm. every single part of his journey. Um, and been one of those people that, you know, we talk about needing um, examples, uh, you know, that from the LGBTQ plus community. But, but he's also been an example for so many people yeah. who have and are still do struggle with substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I have admired him ever since he's, you know, gotten honest about that publicly and, you know, just shared his heart. Me too. Um, so I yeah. think that's why he connected with me and my moment of weakness and my and understanding my uh, journey. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a real empathizer. Mm -hmm. He um, he listens really well. That's probably why he's such a great songwriter. But I, I always admired that part of his life as well, that that setback, I, I love the phrase, uh, a setback is just a chance for a comeback. Oh yeah. And I've, I thought he really epitomizes that in that journey of his. Um, and it's such a, a vibrant, beautiful, positive person now. Um, and in sharing any of that, it's always such a, it just lifts you up because you realize that you can, you know, no matter what it is, you can overcome. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Last question. Um, what is the uh, most meaningful way you like to show up for your, like your close circle, your people in your life, your friends? People that I know who I love mm -hmm. and I love to feed them. I love to cook and I have people over for a meal. Uh, that to me is really fun. If I can feed people, it probably goes back to my mother Yeah. and like whatever Southern roots are still, you know, within me that, uh, that say you take care of people, you nurture them and love them and show them you love them by food. Uh, and so I love to do that. Um, I hope in some ways I'm a good listener to people who have something they want to share even now as friends. Yeah. I, I always felt like, um, I, I always felt like I would see the, the person in the room who wasn't speaking to anybody else mm -hmm. and I would find them and go talk to them as a kid. I don't know what that was. Uh, just a empathy, a, you know. Yeah. I, I sometimes was that kid myself. So knowing that, I do seek that out now. And I always think if someone's got, you know, any of my friends have something they want to share, I, I think there's a trust and a understanding that you'll be there for me. And that, I hope, is how I give back to friends also. Mm. I believe you do. You know, having known you just the little the little bit that I've gotten to so far, I believe that's definitely true. And you know, for for the gosh, thousands or millions, I don't even know how many people are connected to you through the media, but it's a lot. Um, especially the platform that you've been able to um, speak to since coming out. Um, you know, I kind of want to close on mentioning that you uh, received the honor of the Human Rights Campaign's Visibility Award, and um, Man, I can't think of, I, I think of all the awards that somebody could win. Sure. Um, but to be recognized for that is just huge in our world and um, worthy of congratulations and just, and of mentioning because, Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, for that, that young person, that older person, that whoever person that you are, you know, a living example in our country, in our state, mm -hmm. in country music, um, that it's okay how you are it's okay not to be okay it's okay to be gay yeah. <laughs> you know all the things right. and right. so um you hope yeah. you made a difference and um i i know 
in receiving that award specifically, it, it um, hopefully is a reflection of the time you've spent mm-hmm. in sharing your journey enough so that maybe if there is a, a kid on a dirt road somewhere who doesn't understand themselves yet, might look to you to see that you can be different and be okay. Um, and I, I hope that's the the takeaway from any of that. Absolutely. Um, like you said, okay and always. Um, and uh, no, that was a real beautiful honor. And, uh, you know, I cherish every day walking up my stairs because I've got it sitting right. It's one of the few awards I actually have out because yeah. um, it's personal, you yeah. know, and I want it in my house because it's a personal thing. I can absolutely yeah. see why. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I, th- I think it's something that you're a living example of every day. So it, it's you. very fitting that you have that out in your house and get to see it and be you're reminded super cool. Of it, thank so. you for saying that. Absolutely. Well, um, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really special conversation. And, um, you know, the, and you never know what's going to come out. Of, I never know what's going to come out of these stories. And um, yours has been one that has been different in so many different types of ways than uh, our, our traditional uh, format, but very special nonetheless. And um, I'm just so grateful for your time and your vulnerability. Um, and for each of you that are watching or listening. And uh, I just want to remind all of you in closing the way that I always do and saying that it's never, ever too late to start loving yourself, and you're only ever one decision away from a completely different life. Thanks. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. If you or a loved one are struggling with trauma, addiction, or mental health, we are ready to answer your questions and help you take that next step. Call our admission center at 888-648-4098 or visit us online at www.promises.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help.